the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us as we get started at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday. It's the 29th and penultimate morning of the month of November, the 11th month of our in the year of our Lord, 2022. Peter Kirsten now going to join me in about an hour. And you know that's always a thrill ride whenever we are educated by uh, the brilliant Peter Kirsten now from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's got a book coming out, by the way, in the next uh, week. He's going to be signing... Uh, copies and uh, all kind of fun stuff like that, but he's mostly going to talk to us about what's going on with free speech in our country. That's going to be the subject of today's monologue as well. We're in trouble. We are in deep, deep trouble when the federal government actually admits in front of the media that they are actively seeking to suppress your free speech rights in a number of ways on social media and beyond, simply because of the terrible news that we found out last night. Uh, and kind of into this morning, Chris Long is uh, sending out the message, and it looks like our efforts yesterday to try to stop cloture, um, which uh, will lead to a vote on the Respect for Marriage Act, uh, it looks like we have failed. We couldn't reach. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm trying really hard to be kind 
when I say uh, reprehensible Rob Portman. I I can't, I guess. I can't. We couldn't reach him. We couldn't move him off of his position because of his radical position he has taken on same-sex marriage. He has allowed it to cloud his judgment on matters of the Constitution and of First Amendment protections. That's all we were asking yesterday. When we flooded him with phone calls, when we flooded him with messages, and we asked him, don't vote in support of this for, uh, Respect for Marriage Act, not because of the same-sex marriage aspect of it, but because of what it does to religious liberty and freedom of speech, two of the most central uh, portions of the First Amendment in the uh uh, uh, Bill of Rights to the Constitution. So uh, the reality is the Senate has moved closer now to passing this, and religious freedom is in jeopardy. And you have Roy Blunt, Joni Ernst, Dan Sullivan, Cynthia Loomis, Rob Portman, Shelley Moore Capito, Susan Collins, Tom Tillis, Richard Burr, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, and Todd Young to thank for it. They are the individuals, the Republicans, who crossed over to kill your First Amendment rights, and your religious uh, liberty. That's just the reality of the situation. The proposal was passed by the House in July. It's now being passed by the Senate. It's going to be have a full vote. They're going to jam, jam this thing down our throats during this lame duck congressional session, and we are going to be picking up the pieces. If we can pick them up at all. I don't even know how we can, quite frankly. Thought crimes are going to be punished and penalized. Thought crimes. You think this is a joke? Do you think I'm kidding? Do you think I'm overstating this? I've got information I'm going to share with you throughout this morning. And again, we'll get Pete's thoughts on it as well. But reprehensible Rob, repugnant Rob, Rob Portman, who was reelected to the United States Senate a couple of times, uh, promised to do one thing, Then, because of a personal family matter, his son came out as gay. He flipped on his constituents. He flipped on the people of the state of Ohio. And now he's flipping on every American who believes in religious liberty and freedom of speech. Because it will be robbed by the Respect for Marriage Act. And if you haven't been paying attention as to how, just keep listening this morning. We'll explain it. So that's one aspect of free speech that we're going to be discussing. The other one? Twitter, Elon Musk is doing exactly what he promised he would do when he threatened to buy Twitter. He is restoring free speech to the platform and is aiming to expose those who used government sources and resources to crush free speech under the old management and old ownership. He's going to release virtually everything that... um, uh, that Twitter was doing on Twitter, and which is just even better. It's just you know, it's it's just a little sweeter. It's a little bit maybe even spicier. The fact that he's going to release all of the information about previous thought crimes, uh, suppression, uh, censorship, and so forth, he's going to do it on Twitter. And I cannot wait until he opens those books. I cannot wait until he exposes everything. We find out who is responsible for it, uh, what government agencies uh, participated in it. And I hope accountability is going to come swiftly, swiftly. But he has done what he said he would do, and that is restore free speech to Twitter. And he continues. He's got a tweet out this morning that is that is legitimate. No, I'm sorry. Beg your pardon. This is 8.41 p.m. last night. I just saw it this morning. Excuse me. 
This is a battle, he wrote, for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost, even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. I, I, I cannot state that any better. It is that serious. It is that literal. If free speech is lost, even in America, of all places, then tyranny is all that lies ahead. And he's talking worldwide. We must continue to be the beacon of freedom. We must continue to be the light that shines the way for the rest of the world. And if we allow those dark forces working within this country, with forces outside of this country, to silence us and shut us down, all will be lost. Elon Musk is right. So we're going to dive into those two issues as we get started this morning. But first, friends, go ahead and stand up, if you would. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. Join us. If you're driving, just do the hand on your heart part. You don't have to stand up. It's too hard to do when you're driving. It's really hard to reach the gas or the brake when you're standing in a car. You also bend your neck because your head's back to, smashed up against the roof of your car. It's just really not comfortable. No, you can stay seated and just put your hand on your heart. If you are a believer in the, the notion that is being pushed by the left, freaking out on Elon Musk, that free speech is akin to Nazism? Well, then you have no idea what this flag represents anyway. You don't have to pretend and stand and say words that aren't the Pledge of Allegiance. You can go ahead and instead just take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, we're going to start on the uh, Twitter side, and we'll come back uh, into the uh, uh, respect for marriage part of the story in just a bit. Yesterday, Karine Jean-Pierre, who is the press secretary for the uh, president of the United States, she's gay and she's black. Did you know she was gay and she's black? You must know that she's gay and she's black and she's female because those are the three qualifications that she had for the job. Qualified? No. Not in the least. Smart? No. Not even close. But she checks the diversity boxes. She's gay, she's black, and she's a woman, and that's exactly what the White House promised that they were going to do with the press secretary position. So, um, gay, black, woman, Corrine Jean-Pierre, stood before the podium yesterday and babbled herself incoher- incoherently the way she always bu- uh, always does, babbles to herself, really. She won't look up at the, at the uh, questioners in the press pool. She keeps her eyes fixated on that binder as she frantically searches for answers to questions that she should already have expected to be there. And when she can't find them, it is just as painful as listening to Kamala Harris uh, try to not giggle during another nonsense answer for which uh, to a question for which she was not prepared. But what I want you to listen to here is the question from a Reuters reporter to Corrine Jean-Pierre, the black and gay woman press secretary. They want you to know that. Uh, listen to the question from Reuters about how dangerous Twitter is becoming because people are actually speaking freely there, you know, and, and do you have any tools to fight back against, you know, this whole freedom thing on Twitter? I want you to listen to the insanity of the question, and then I want you to listen to the babbling incoherence of the unqualified diversity hire's response. No, 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 that's not working yet. Hold on one second. I always have to make sure that everything is plugged in just so. Here we go. All right, there we don't go. Not exactly sure why, but we will fix this in due time. Here we go. Let's try it one more time now. 
question about Twitter. Um, you know, there's a researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So this Before we get into the babbling incoherency of the response, just to make sure you understood the question from the Reuters reporter, she talked about what is the White House doing to prevent misinformation from being flooded on Twitter. Misinformation, of course, decided upon by whom? Who decides what's misinformation? Who decides what's accurate and what's not? Corrine Jean-Pierre? Kamala Harris? One of the other diversity hire unqualified hacks in the Biden administration? CNN? Who? Who decides what is misinformation? That's number one. The danger of that entire concept cannot be overstated. The danger that comes along with telling the government they should monitor the public social media airwaves to decide what's real and what's fake, what's accurate and what's not, and then spike or censor that which with which they disagree. That is alarming to me, and this is a reporter who actually operates, this woman from, the, from Reuters, she operates under the protection of the very same amendment she is calling for Uh, a suspension of freedom of the press is how she does her job it's one of the five core tenets of the first amendment freedom of the press so here's a woman whose job literally depends upon the first amendment to exist calling for some sort of suppression of other parts of the first amendment what are you going to do to shut down misinformation and then she said um, uh, is there concern at the White House about the number of new subscribers joining Twitter? And what tools do you have to stop it? Did, did, you, did you hear that? Why aren't you guys more concerned that Twitter isn't dying the way it was supposed to when Elon Musk took over? Why aren't you concerned with the fact that more people are joining Twitter rather than leaving Twitter? that Elon Musk is putting a product out there that is more popular and more people can join and use, yes, their freedom of speech. Isn't the White House concerned about that? More people using free speech? We can't have that. What tools do you have, Karine Jean-Pierre, to try to stop some of that? This is literally what she said. Twitter's becoming really, really much more popular. You guys need to stop that popularity. And here is what's even worse, the babbling diversity hire herself. This is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, look, um, we, you know, we have always been very clear um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when we comes to the hate that we're seeing. Uh, what hate? What hate? What hate? What hate? What do you what what? What does that mean? What does that mean, diversity hire? What does that mean? What do you mean when it comes to the hate we're seeing? Give me an example. Point to an example. What hate? What do you mean? And what do you mean you're keeping an eye on it? 
Is social media the government's purview, or is it a private company? I remember when Jack Dorsey was running it. I remember all of you freakish leftoids continually reminded us it's a private company. You can't do anything. They can run it however they want. Now that Elon Musk is running it and is opening it up to something called the First Amendment, you suddenly say, we're keeping an eye on it. Yeah, we're keeping an eye on it. We're looking for misinformation, and we're keeping an eye on all this hate. What hate? Give me an example. Give us one example, DH. That's going to be her new nickname. DH, diversity hire. Black, check. Female, check. Gay, check. Qualified, eh. Hired, check. Okay, DH, what else you got? That they they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again, we're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring. And uh, we see, you know, we see it with our own eyes. What do you see? What do you see with your own eyes? Say something of substance. You babbling diversity hire. Say something of substance. What do you see with your own eyes? Of what you all are reporting and just for, for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. We see what you all are reporting and we see for ourselves what's happening on Twitter. Say something that is happening on Twitter. You walking, talking embarrassment. Uh, but again, social media companies have a responsibility to prevent their platforms uh, from being used by any user uh, to incite violence, especially... Name one, you freakazoid. You far left, bumbling diversity hire. Name something on Twitter that is being used to promote and incite violence. Stop standing and staring at your notepad, your binder, that has trigger words in it, misinformation, um, hatred, hate speech, violence incitement. She just has all of these things down there to, to remind her of things that she can say, but she has no idea how to string them into, into um, and formulate them into coherent sentences. Actually, violence uh, directed at individual communities, as we have been seeing, and the president has been... Really? Very- You've been seeing it? Where, you liar? Where? Name one, D.H., name one. Be clear on calling... Uh- no, the president has been cl- as clear as one of your press conference statements. And that is to say, not at all. Clear as mud, period. Name something. Calling uh, that out, he'll continue to do that, uh, and we're going to continue to monitor the situation. Go ahead. Twitter is gaining in popularity like never before because people are attracted to something, shock of all shocks here, called free speech. People are attracted. Why do you think I came back to it? I'm on Twitter now again. France on air. Always right radio. Find me on Twitter. I came back after a three and a half year absence. I did not like censorship Twitter. I do like free speech Twitter. I'm on it. Millions of other people are joining at record rates, and this terrifies them because they are literally opposed to the First Amendment. That's the Biden administration way. That's the leftist agenda. No First Amendment. No free speech. We decide what gets to be said, what gets to be heard, what gets to be expressed, what gets to be taken in, and nobody else. I'll be back. When the stupidity of the left hurts... I've heard a little, but I'm alright. Always right with Bob France. Oh, God, I'm not good. Yeah. On AM 1420, the answer. 
Okay, 9.36 now. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. Don't forget, we got cursing out about a half an hour. I welcome your phone calls at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I want to get to the uh, rest of the attack on free speech. I want you to understand what we're saying here this morning. The situation is critical. This is not an overstatement. This isn't melodramatic. It's not hyperbole. The situation is critical when it comes to free speech in this country. Elon Musk tweeted this morning, this is a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. He is right. He's doing what he can by way of his new platform that he took over, but now it looks like he's going to have to do even more. What do I mean? Well, here's what I mean. Apple has threatened to remove Twitter from the App Store which means those millions upon millions of iPhone users who use their iPhones for Twitter will not be able to access Twitter. That's how um, the the, uh, uh, Apple company with with, uh, Tim Cook and the uh, the, um, Google company with Sundar Pichar, I think is how you say his name, the uh, CEO of Google, This is the way they work with the government to silence us completely and stop us from using Twitter to share free expression with one another, is they remove it. It's the same thing they did to Parler after Parler started to get immensely popular when Donald Trump was banned from Twitter. The Apple and Google CEOs removed the Parler app from their stores so nobody could use it. Now they're threatening to do the same thing. Uh, from the app stores for the two most popular phones in the world, the iPhone and the Android. Elon Musk says, quote, Apple has mostly stopped advertising on Twitter. Do they hate free speech in America? And Apple has also threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store, but won't tell us why. He asked CEO Tim Cook in a post, what's going on? And the answer is exactly what I just told you is going on. If they can't kill the popularity of Twitter because too many people like freedom and they hate and despise that, well, then they'll just have to stop people from having access to Twitter. So Elon Musk has suggested that maybe he's got an answer for that, too. Elon Musk has suggested that if they're going to kick me off of the platforms um, that the two giant phone companies operate, then maybe I'll have to do something radical. Now, I want to play a reminder here for you, a clip, because I've been talking about this for some time. That I uh, This is a clip from my interview with Donald Trump last summer, summer of 2021. I asked him a very important question about uh, the censorship of ideas on the monopolized smartphone uh, market. And this is what I asked Donald Trump. Remember this? I, I don't want to own my iPhone anymore because of what Apple did. But the other option is, is an Android phone, which is owned by, by Google. They, they have the market cornered. And I, I wonder yeah. out loud on these airwaves, is there a billionaire somewhere who could start his own smartphone company and bankrupt Apple and Google? And the first name I thought of was, well, Donald J. Trump. Would you ever consider <laughs> such a venture and, 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 and create the Trump phone? You'll have 75 million people who voted for you will buy one on yeah. day one. I, I, I hate these liberal companies that have the market cornered on the smartphone no, I know. Uh, technology. And, and they have their market. phones made in China, by the way. Just right on. Would you ever about think it, about something like that? Because I know you're th- talking about creating an app and other things to, right. to get out I of the am. social media you know, uh, uh, vice that they have you in. But what about your own phone line? 
So one thing about social media, it's very interesting. I do now press releases, and the New York Times of all media outlets, which is shocking, frankly, they did a story two weeks ago that I'm getting the same. You know, when I put out like a hit on this horrible governor from Arizona or from Georgia or from whoever, or a hit on the people from Michigan that are running it so badly in the Senate that allow that to happen, you know, things to happen that shouldn't have happened. When I put out, I'm getting tremendous by putting out a statement. Now, with that being said, uh, over the next fairly short period of time, I'll be announcing something. And uh, stay tuned uh, during uh, the early part of July, because somebody's got to do something with these uh, big tech companies. So watch just watch what happens in the early part of July, and I'd even speak to you. And we don't have to speak in front of the audience. You can tell this incredible audience that you have exactly what I said. But I think you're going to be very happy because somebody has to take these people on. Point of fact, I was not very happy. Point of fact, I was very disappointed because he, he really did not address the idea of a phone company, a Trump phone manufacturer, uh, manufacturer building one, starting one to compete with Apple and the iPhone, Google and the Android. Uh, so I was disappointed by that. My disappointment in President Trump's lack of interest in such a thing is fading away quickly because Elon Musk is interested. Elon Musk has declared that if Apple or Google or both remove Twitter and its free speech, its new free speech commitment from their phones, he will develop his own smartphone. And to that, I can only say, I, I mentioned this. I may have mentioned this. I can't remember because I've been doing podcasts like crazy, and I've been doing the radio show, and I and I don't remember where I've said everything. So my apologies, but I'll say this again: I will buy four of those right now, one for every member of my family, sight unseen, tech unseen. I have no idea what it will look like, but all I do know is that Elon Musk invented the Tesla. He invented Starlink. He invented SpaceX. Elon Musk. There's a reason he's the richest man in the world. And there's a reason why he's one of the most successful technological entrepreneurs in the world, because he just gets it better than just about everybody else. Whatever kind of phone he builds, I'm in. Count me in, because that's the only way to ensure that free speech is pushed forth. If censorship is going to reign at Apple and at Google, uh, and Elon Musk has brought free speech back to Twitter, which is the public square, the public you know, talking space for for politicians for candidates for celebrities for folks for you and for me if it is the public square it needs to be free and he's brought freedom to it and if they kill it uh, on the uh, phones i cannot wait for to see what kind of a phone elon musk develops and i will say this to you one last thing on this point what are you waiting for elon screw them don't wait to see if they take twitter off your platform or off of their phones build one anyway because you can help break up like i said to donald trump you can break up their monopoly that they have on the smartphone market. Nobody else makes smartphones. Nobody can make a dent. It's either iPhone or Android, and that's it. Somebody needs to come along. That's why I was begging Trump to make the Trump phone. He didn't, he didn't have an interest in that. He did come through, by the way, with his promise of a new social media company as an alternative to Twitter and Facebook, which is what Truth Social is, and I'm on there, too. Always write WHK on Truth Social. 
Um, but I really think that the, the new phone idea is a great idea. And I hope Elon Musk does not wait. I hope he doesn't wait to see if they kick him off the platforms uh, on the uh, uh, Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. I hope he just creates his own phone, too. He'll take such a massive bite. Can you imagine if Musk creates the phone version of the uber-advanced Tesla and the uber-advanced Starlink satellite system and so forth and puts it in a smartphone form? Um, people will be throwing their... Uh, iPhones in the river, and they will be grabbing the new Musk phones. Um, and I, th- I hope that happens. I hope it happens because competition must, 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 must happen if we are going to uh, protect and preserve uh, the First Amendment. There's no question in my mind. All right. Having said all of that, part two of the anti-free speech movement in this country that we are very, very concerned about now, as I noted, the Senate last night voted to um, invoke cloture which essentially ends debate and will bring the uh, uh, religious freedom, the or excuse me, the Respect for Marriage Act that threatens religious freedom, uh, to a vote. Twelve Republicans took a giant step. This is from the Epic Times. A giant step last night toward the final passage of this act that many civil liberties experts say will seriously damage our freedom of religious practice and expression. You know, and people keep focusing on that. I interviewed Chris Long about it um, uh, yesterday. Um, it's more than just religious practice and expression. Not that there needs to be more. That's bad enough. But it's also just straight-up speech. No one, whether it's because of their religious faith or just because it's their own mind, it says, I don't like it. I don't want to do a transition cake for the party that your daughter, who's becoming a son, wants to have. No, I'm not making you a cake for celebrating the transition. I don't believe in it. Well, why not? Are you a bigot? No. But I don't believe in it. And just like I don't have to say anything anybody doesn't want me to say with my voice, I don't have to say anything with my creative talents that I don't want to say. I have freedom of religion or freedom of speech. Now, if that also happens to be my faith, great. But it shouldn't be limited to our faith. Our freedom of speech and expression includes not just being suppressed or censored. It includes not being forced or compelled to say things we don't want to say. So both of those things are in serious jeopardy now. 61 to 35 vote last night came on the cloture motion to limit debate. Uh, Same dozen GOP senators voted on November 16th with all 50 Democrats to move this proposal forward, voted for this last night, pushing us into a situation today where I just saw a note from Chris Long president of the um, uh, Ohio Christian Alliance, said that they are going to consider amendments today. So it's not a lock that they're going to vote on on this final passage of the bill as is yet. It's not a lock, but they're close to that. But they are going to consider amendments that are being offered today. So that is, I suppose, a tiny sliver of, of light that you can see in the dark tunnel before us? We'll see. The proposal was already passed by the House in July. Senior Senate Republicans uh, said a vote on final passage would likely be Thursday. Okay, so that's why they're doing the amendments today. Votes uh, will be allowed on amendments proposed by Mike Lee of Utah, James Lankford of Oklahoma, Marco Rubio of Florida. These are intended to provide stronger protections for freedom of thought. There it is. There it is. There it is. That's what I was trying to say. And freedom of religion. Opponents had hoped prior 
to the decision last night to persuade at least three of the dozen GOP senators to reverse themselves and instead oppose moving the proposal forward. But uh, if three had done so, that's why we had Chris on yesterday. The cloture motion would have fallen short of the required 60 votes, and the proposal would at least have temporarily been stopped, and it probably would have stopped it from being passed at all in this lame duck session. That's why it was so important yesterday to reach out to people like Rob Portman and say, stop this nonsense. This is This is too much. Opponents... Uh, argue the proposal provides official sanction for discrimination against individual citizens, as well as faith-based schools, social service agencies, and nonprofits, and non and small businesses that oppose non-traditional marriage out of deeply held religious principles and practices. That's all very true. If a nonprofit is engaged in behavior that is contrary to public policy, then the IRS has the discretion to strip that organization of its tax-exempt status, according to ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom. Our concern is the IRS is going to point to the Respect for Marriage Act and say these organizations that aren't recognizing same-sex marriage are acting inconsistently with public policy articulated in the Respect for Marriage Act. Heritage Foundation Vice President for Domestic Policy Roger Severino was even more blunt in his assessment of this proposal, saying in the Epic Times, this legislation is nothing more than a way to weaponize the federal government against people of faith and it offers no additional benefits or protections that same-sex couples don't already have. End quote. And I want to I want to focus on that. That's what we were talking about in such depth yesterday, and it's why I told you what our mission would be in trying to reach reprehensible Rob yesterday. Rob Portman wouldn't be to try to change his mind on same-sex marriage. This bill isn't about that. You're never going to change his mind on same-sex marriage. He flipped and threw his entire public reputation as a constitutional conservative into a dumpster and then set it on fire because his son said he's gay. When his son said he was gay 10, 11 years ago, Rob Portman just destroyed what was left of his credibility. Because then he said, oh, well, my son's gay, so all that stuff about one man, one woman, biblical marriage, building block, foundation of society, blah, 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 hell with that. My son's gay, and if he wants to get married, he should be allowed to. You're never going to flip him back from that. What I said we needed to reach him with yesterday is the message about freedom of speech and the message about freedom of religion in the Constitution. Nothing in this bill makes any stronger the same-sex marriage uh, that has been that has been essentially allowed by a Supreme Court decision in Obergefell. It, it's allowed. It's not going away. Same-sex marriage doesn't disappear if this bill doesn't pass. It's still going to be there. It's still going to be recognized. But if we can stop this bill from being passed or amend it significantly, we can at least protect the rights of people who say, I don't want to participate. Churches won't have to perform ceremonies. People won't have to violate their their deeply held religious faith and participate in these ceremonies at the risk of being charged with bigotry or with civil rights violations or something of those along those lines. If this passes as is, you won't be able to reject any of those things without severe consequences. Severino went on to say, this bill encourages radical activists to sue religious schools, colleges, and adoption agencies. It will empower, Biden, empower rather, Biden's 87,000 new IRS agents to revoke the tax-exempt status of faith-based nonprofits. Congress should be presenting our First Amendment rights, should be protecting, beg pardon, 
our First Amendment rights instead of pushing divisive legislation that nobody needs. And it is that serious, and it is that it, that is that accurate from uh, uh, from Heritage Foundation's Roger Severino. Now, Mike Lee, we talked about this yesterday with Chris. <clears throat> Put, a full, put forward a second tougher amendment during the debate that would specifically exempt individuals, like you and me, nonprofits and businesses from being penalized as a result of their religious beliefs by government officials due to the enactment of the Respect for Marriage Act. Senator Lee's amendment um, would have pro- prohibited, according to Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, would have prohibited the government from taking such action and even offered a vote for the bill if they accepted it. I, w- I would also have supported the bill with his language. So if the language can be added that protects you, me, religious uh, institutions, religious-affiliated businesses, and people just with their own conscience and their own belief in what is right and wrong, which it, whether it's whether it's rooted in faith or not, remember, The First Amendment, the way the First Amendment is written, is there are five core provisions within it that are protected. One is not dependent upon another. Your free speech rights do not have to be rooted in religion. You have freedom of religion in one provision in the First Amendment. You have freedom of speech and expression in another provision. One is not dependent upon the other. You don't have to say, I really don't like this. I really don't want to have to work in this environment. I really don't want to have to perform these duties and these services for something I don't believe in just because it's against my religion. I ought to be able to say with free speech, independent of religion, that I just don't want to and you can't force me to do or say something that I don't believe in. So that's where we sit. Free speech is in serious jeopardy. It's in jeopardy from the federal government uh, by way of social media, as I just described, and it's in jeopardy uh, by way of our own personal religious and free speech rights, all of which are under attack by radical leftists and people like uh, Reprehensible Rob. 954. That's a lot of stuff. I gave you a ton of information in the first 50 minutes of this program. I hope you're processing it, and I hope you've got some thoughts on it, because I'll be taking those, in addition to thoughts from Kirsten and I, which are coming up right here on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Tuesday, 29th and penultimate morning of the month of November in the year of our Lord, 2022. His motor is always running, and he is always wild. He is Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, a Cleveland attorney, a best-selling author, a sometimes columnist, a sometimes law professor, and the host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, good morning, you wild child. How are you, sir? 
Doing great. Thanks to John for the bumper music. That's phenomenal. It's uh, one of my favorite songs, Steppenwolf. As I've said before, today's music has absolutely no soul. This kind of music, Steppenwolf, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, it pumps you up in the morning. It makes you want to go out and beat the Wolverines. We haven't been playing Born to be Wild enough. That's why Hal State faltered the way they did, despite <laughs> having better talent. Amazing. Unforgivable, by the way. Unforgivable. Oh, Pete's uh, just coming in with both guns blazing. All right. I, I appreciate it. I respect it. Hey, Pete. Um, I'm, just since you do it, you know, oftentimes at the start of our conversations, you'll bring up the Browns or you'll bring up the, you know, something having to do with Cleveland sports or whatever. Um, Deshaun Watson is going to be the quarterback now. Uh, Jacoby Brissett did the 11 game fill in thing. Uh, it was not uber successful, four and seven or whatever it is that they are. Um, how do you feel about Deshaun Watson now coming in and being the face of the franchise given his his 11 game suspension what it was for what was discovered what was found by the arbitrator and the judge and so on and so forth is it is it cool for this to be the new face of the browns franchise and does it matter if 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 he, as long as he throws for 350 yards and four touchdowns a game i'm guessing people will get over whatever their uh, whatever their hesitancy may may have been yeah you're probably right about that um i don't look <clears throat> we can do better uh, both in terms of talent, in terms of who's the face of the franchise. I'm I'm not convinced that this is going to be a significant upgrade. I've watched Deshaun Watson tape, and I have to admit, he's an amazing athlete. I remember at Clemson, but I really didn't pay much attention to him while he was in the NFL. But he's the real deal. He's got a heck of an arm. He's a great athlete. Uh, bottom line, though, is three first-round draft choices, $250 million, just from a personnel policy or a personnel move standpoint, I think it's uh, – a huge overreach, and they better hope he never gets injured because they've mortgaged their future for the next several years because, as you know, a first-round draft choice has echo effects over a number of different drafts. It doesn't, isn't just confined to losing the draft pick for that draft. It has an effect on drafts going forward, as we've known since the Browns have come back. Um, I, You know, look, um, it, it's a real shame that uh, the Browns gave up as much as they did for somebody who is a good athlete, and he's not Tom Brady. He's never won a Super Bowl. But uh, is this the best we can do in terms of not – look, the quarterback is going to be the face of the franchise, unless you're a Jim Brown or someone of, of that nature, somebody who's an impact player of, of that magnitude. It's always going to be the quarterback. Particularly and, when and, you're a $250 million quarterback. Exactly. They're going to expect things out of him. You know, they're going to expect ex- – it's Super Bowl territory. You've got to get to the Super Bowl. So this is on the franchise. They made the move. They decided to do this, and now they better produce. Whether, you know, it, of course, Jacoby Brissett, you know, was just a caretaker. Deshaun Watson is going to have to produce, and they're going to have to put people around him that make sure that they produce. Nothing less. This is a franchise without a Super Bowl. Only the Detroit Lions, I mean, without even getting to the Super Bowl, you know, we are an old-time franchise. It would be different if we were an expansion franchise, but we are an old-time franchise, going back to the old um, All-American um, League and um, All-American Conference, and we don't have a Super Bowl. We have no Super Bowl. This is, it's unforgivable that a storied franchise like this, I go back to Jim Brown again, I go back to the 1964 championship game, I go back to iconic moments in NFL history that the Browns were part of, and yet... What we think of, at least contemporary uh, thinking, if, you were, if you're under the age of 40 
you think of the Browns as, number one, never having gotten to the Super Bowl, number two, having moved to Baltimore, you think of chaos. All due respect to the Browns currently playing, but that's what you think of. And I'm an old-time Browns fan. I go back to the Lou Groza days. I go back to the Marion Motley days. Um, it's just it's painful to watch, so he better produce. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah, there's no question about it. And even if he does, then, like I said, there's just the question of, yeah, I've said this before about people like Ray Lewis and and Ben Roethlisberger and others who have had some very serious uh, allegations made against them and and situations that I don't think were resolved to the satisfaction of pretty much anybody but money and the right attorneys, no disrespect to great attorneys, obviously, um, you know, it can make some things go away. But I wouldn't want that poster on my kid's wall. I wouldn't be buying my, my kid the, the Lewis jersey, and I don't think I'd be buying my kid the or my grandkid to come someday uh, a Watson jersey. I just don't think it's the right kind of thing for me. Yeah. For me. It's a you know, personal personal opinion. If that's the face of my franchise, then I'm probably going to not be spending uh, a ton of time supporting financially that franchise. All right, so there's that. Peter Kirsten now. Now let's move into... A couple of very important issues, the attack on our free speech. Um, the, the bill passed through the Senate yesterday, the, 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 the bill passed, I should say, the vote to, uh, um, uh, to uh, uh, bring about cloture. Uh, so now they're going to be cleared for a vote on Thursday, it looks like, to pass the Respect for Marriage Act. They are taking up amendments and considering them today, which are extraordinarily important. I don't have a great deal of confidence that they're going to go anywhere. But the Respect for Marriage Act is already passed the House. Now that the Senate has approved it for being brought to a vote, uh, um, on Thursday, Peter Kersenow, religious liberty and freedom of speech are in grave jeopardy. And I mean grave jeopardy. And I know you realize this as well as anybody. Uh, but it's not just religious institutions, but individuals like the cake baker in Colorado, uh, yep. like the, the florist, the, the DJ, the photographer, the website graphic designer, all of these things you must, ex- you must respect. Um, that's why I call it the Respect for Marriage Act by doing what they tell you to do, say what they tell you to say, pr- produce what they tell you to produce, or you will be in trouble with the law. Pete, it's more than just an attack on our religious faith. It is attack on our right to think and do and say as we please, uh, both of which are supposed to be protected by the First Amendment. Here we sit. Your thoughts. Excellent summary, and I agree with uh, everything that you said. Whatever amendments are voted upon today, and you know there are a couple out there that would curb it, but not significantly. There's the Mike Lee Amendment out there that would do pretty good um, it would cabinet fairly well, but the problem is the cat is then out of the bag. Um, I like to look at this from, you know, you could look at it from a um, minute standpoint in terms of the things that you just talked about. I don't mean to characterize what you said as being minute, but I'm saying, you know, the, the real-world implications with respect to, like, the Masterpiece Cake Shop issue and um, <clears throat> religious freedom generally and speech issues. And then take a 30,000-foot look at this. Remember, and, and I, I've said this to your audience before, remember what this is all about. Uh, we had a hearing on this at the Civil Rights Commission a long time ago, and you know my old statement, if you want to know what the left has planned for the United States five years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today. And we had a hearing on this, and what you glean from that is what the ultimate intent of the left is in pushing certain things. Um, it's never what they say it is. It's never what the title of the bill is. It's always something that's three or four generations down the road. And by generations, I don't mean you know uh, people generations. I mean there are going to be further iterations of what their agenda is, and keep an eye on it. And the agenda here is the dissolution of the family. 
Uh, that's something that's been happening organically over a period of time. It's something that uh, has been expedited by federal and state law because of the the secondary and tertiary implications of things like welfare policy, etc. The old line of, you know, uh, politics is downstream from culture. Well, we've gotten to a point now where culture is now, to a large extent, downstream from politics. Different political maneuvers have actually eroded and corroded our culture. And it's almost a, a symbiotic relationship. You know, one does uh, culture affects politics, politics affects culture, and unfortunately over the last 40 years it's been in a negative way. And Republicans are often too oblivious to the downstream implications and what the true plans of the left are. I don't necessarily mean individual Democrat politicians, but the people who have an agenda, those that fund the Democrats, those that are the policymakers for Democrats, the guys behind the scenes. The agenda is the dissolution of the family. And the reason for that, and I mean, Hillary Clinton said it out loud, uh, as did, you know, the media people like Melissa Perry on MSNBC and others saying that, you know, the, the children belong to the, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and children belong to the government or to the state. Uh, that's what the Soviet Union and uh, what the Communist Chinese believe. And that's the ultimate aim, okay? That is to dissolve or to erode the institution of marriage so that what we have right now, well, just take a look at the real world example. Uh, what we saw in the last election is, I can't even remember the percentage, but it was an extraordinarily high percentage of single females voted for Democrats. That was the deciding cohort. Uh, look at the most loyal constituency for Democrats, black females, 91 to 92 percent of black females vote for Democrats. If you dissolve marriage, dissolve the institution of the family, that makes individuals dependent on government. And that's the aim. The, the, the long term strategists for the left figured that out. 60 years ago. And we saw it visited upon us. Daniel Patrick Moynihan stepped in it when he said, well, you know, heck, the welfare state, um, blacks are married to the welfare state. What is happening is, you know, black females were looking to the government instead of to a partner in terms of, you know, their advancement in life. And that's what's happening more and more and more often. We have more kids out of wedlock, you know, there's less of a dependency on having husbands and fathers in the family rather than the government. And so that's the long-term implication. And what this does is continue to erode the institution of marriage. Um, you know, we could talk about this for several hours as to how it does it, but believe me when I say it, all I have to do is take a look at the text, and I think it jumps out at almost everybody vividly that it does. Okay, short-term implications is that everything it says it's going to do in terms of, this doesn't do anything to respect for marriage. We, you know, <laughs> we all know what the game is in Washington. Whenever you see a title for a bill that's sounds good and that everyone agrees with, look at the fine print because you know this is not the ultimate aim. It's probably just the opposite of what it claims. This has very little to do with respect for marriage and has everything to do with affecting our culture, but also putting clamps. You mentioned religious freedom. That's a big, big deal. But also freedom of speech, which you also mentioned, is probably the biggest deal because what we have to remember is this is not just uh, you know uh, uh, institutions, colleges, businesses, uh, the masterpiece cake shops, you know, florists and bakers and others who would, you know, decline because of religious beliefs to perform a same-sex marriage or service a same-sex marriage uh, wedding or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. uh, this goes a, a 
lot farther than that because individuals now, ostensibly, if you take a look at the fine print and, and then, not fine print, if you take a look at the act and combine it with things like Title Seven, Title Six, Title Nine, certain things emerge. And one of those things that emerges, individuals now, individuals need to be very concerned about what they say publicly in terms of whether or not they support same-sex marriage or not. Because it's not so much that they will be sued and lose, it's the the hell of going through the litigation process, which will happen because the ultimate aim of the far left, again, I'm not saying the ordinary, you know, everyday Democrat out there, but the, or, the far left is what controls the party, which controls the processes, and they will be bringing lawsuits. They will be bringing lots of lawsuits against individuals. Anyone who speaks out, we talk, we talk about Twitter. Twitter is, you know, look, that's, that's important. We're going to cover but, that too, uh, by the way. But but by the but when you have individuals who get sued into oblivion, and they may prevail at the end of the day, uh, at least nominally, but only after they're financially ruined, and that will have a chilling effect on anybody else who voices any kind of religiously held, sincere religiously held relief, not out of malevolence or animosity toward you know same-sex marriage. They may have a religious belief that you know, says, "Look, I don't believe that there's anything other than a man and woman in marriage." Um, or just a conscience. I mean, again, I think it's important because right. I talked about this before. In the, in the five provisions of the First Amendment are not dependent upon one another. You don't have freedom of speech only because you have it, it affects your faith or or it is or it is affected by your faith. You have freedom of speech on its own face, whether you're a person of person of faith or not. You don't have to be a religious person to say I just don't believe in that for my own reasons, not because of God, not because of a Bible, not because yep. of my church's teachings. Right. I just don't believe it, and I'm not compelled to say or do something that you that I don't want to do. Uh, simply because you say so. That's that's very yeah. important, I think. And I think this has a chilling effect on free speech for all, for everybody, in, uh, all individuals. Uh, it would be it could be termed as under this act as religious or sexual harassment if you say something on a regular basis. Simply voice your your fervently held belief that a marriage is between a man and a woman. If you say that at the wrong time and a, a number of times, you know the the definition of of harassment under the law is that it's uh, pervasive. But if you say it several times, then you may have been considered to have violated the Respect for Marriage Act or, or at least transgressed its the outer limits of its um, provisions. And right. that's going to have a chilling effect on speech generally. You know that in a lot of institutions, whether it be in colleges or in commercial spaces, people are going to be very circumspect. They already are. They're already are chilled. We know that from saying something that the zeitgeist says you're not supposed to have. And by zeitgeist, I mean, we all know what that means. We, the, the left, the left, which has hegemony over every one of our institutions. So this is a serious bill. It is a travesty that we had. We knew Democrats were going to walk, me, walk uh, in lockstep. Yeah, let me jump in there, Pete, only because of time. Uh, so we'll take that break here. Um, but Elon Musk, because we haven't even covered the Twitter part of the free speech concerns today, said this, and I think it can apply to this Respect for Marriage bill because of everything you just said over the last few minutes. Elon Musk's pinned tweet to his platform right now is this. This is a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost, even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead, period, end quote. And he is exactly... Yeah, I'm afraid, yes, I'm afraid I'm going to be disappointed by Elon Musk at some point, but right now, boy, he's our champion. Amen. Amen. He is. He's leading the way, and, uh, and and I think he's only scratched the surface of what he's planning, which I think is, is very, very exciting. Pete, let's take that time out. We'll come right back. More with Chris and Al on Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Over the world, and everybody feels- 
60% of the time, it works every time. Always right with Bob France. That doesn't make sense. On AM 1420, the answer. Onward now, 1033 on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, the answer. Peter Kersenow is with us from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Hey, Pete, what is... um? What was the name of that award that Obama got like two weeks into his presidency before he did anything at all? <laughs> Do you remember that? Wasn't it, I think it was a Nobel Prize. Oh, wait, 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 wait. He hadn't done anything. Yeah, what, what, what kind of a prize was it again? I think it was the Nobel. I think it was the Nobel Prize, if I'm not okay. mistaken. I, I, I think he got I, the Nobel. I mean, he had done nothing, and he got the Nobel Prize just for being, and he deserves it, as we all know. I mean, because he's so much better than all of us, and he's accomplished so much. Well, I think, uh, I think you joke. might be a, I think you might be just a tad bit off there here. Let's, uh, let's check in with KJPDH. That's Kareem Jean-Pierre, diversity hire. Uh, listen. President Biden met with three U.S. winners of the 2022 Nobel Prize, Dr. Caroline Bertozzi, who won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, Dr. John Clauser, who won the Nobel Prize in Physics, and Dr. Douglas Diamond, who won the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences. Well, he's, well, you know, he's very noble. What can I tell you? you know, <laughs> <laughs> how can you, know, you be a human? How can you be an adult human being in the United States, much less the press secretary for the United States, and yeah. never have heard of the Nobel Prize and enough to be able to pronounce it Nobel Prize? It's hilarious. Uh, it's impossible. So yeah, it's hilarious, but it's also a profound embarrassment. Everybody else is watching this. The world is watching this. I know that's you know trite to say, but it's true. They're watching this, and they make their judgments based on things like this. They make their judgments based on a whole variety of minutia in terms of whether or not the United States is a formidable opponent or whether or not they're a reliable ally. But they take a look at all these things, and when you've got a press secretary for the most powerful, ostensibly the most powerful office in the land, saying Nobel Prize. As Americans, as Americans, we should not be lowering our standards like this for a dunce like her. And I'm, 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 I don't like being pejorative like that, and you've heard me say that before, but this is so ridiculous. To tolerate this kind of mediocrity is the best way I can put it. It's worse than mediocrity, because mediocrity says you're just kind of you know, barely, barely average. Yeah, but this, this is, is well below that. that. This is inexcusable. It's inexcusable. And the media, it, what, what amazes me, Bob, I bet you're just like me, and you watch the news and you see these White House briefings where the sheep in the press corps just sits there and listens to abj- things that are clear lies. There's, there's no dispute about this. You can't uh, you know, engage in the minutia of politics and say, well, that's, that's, you know, there's some element to that. That's not the whole story, but that's part of it. No, these are just abject lies, or they're complete inanities, and they don't have any questions, no follow-up questions. You only have one or two people, like a Peter Ducey, who ever even asked the relevant questions. Here we are imploding economically. Inflation, gas prices, the, we've got crime going through the roof. We've got uh, just an uncontrollable border, which we're going to pay the consequences for. Ukraine, we're sending tens of billions of dollars there. We still have the Afghanistan debacle for which there's been no accounting whatsoever. This is ridiculous. And they sit there like just, you know, sheep. And listen to this person who clearly should not be anywhere near the White House, probably anywhere near your local <laughs> 7-Eleven. No disrespect to the 7-Eleven either, because those people work hard to get to, to get to a living. This person is not qualified to do a, a, a thing. Yeah, I By don't the think way, she speaking should... of not qualified, um, mm-hmm. one other point on Respect for Marriage Act is everyone, and I know your listeners know this without, but it bears repeating, 
every Republican senator who voted for cloture, keep an eye on. We all know that, but every single one cannot be trusted to tie their shoes, because if they voted for something like this, they either were not sufficiently informed, which means that they are incompetent, or they are not Republicans. And remember who they are. And there were no surprises. There were no surprises. I looked it up. Mitt Romney, Joni Earth, Cynthia Lummis, who I don't know, Roy Blunt, Shelley Moore Capito, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, Dan Sullivan, Tom Tillis, Todd Young, and Susan Collins. Many of those I have dealt with in the past, and this transcends the respect for Mayor Jack, because what what it really indicates is these are people... We're not conservative, because this is a huge marker when it comes to conservatism and the downstream effects it's going to have on all manner of public policy related to conservatism. But they cannot be relied on, and they should not be called conservative, and each one deserves a primary challenge. Well, except for Rob Portman, of course, who has no reason whatsoever to adjust his thinking on this because he's done. And J.D. Vance will be in his seat in January. Uh, so that, that, of course, is why it was, you know, it fell upon deaf ears to try to contact him yesterday. We had a big campaign on the air yesterday to contact all of those individuals, but here in Ohio, in particular, Rob Portman, an appeal not to his sense of right or wrong as it pertains to gay marriage. We all know what he did 10 years ago uh, when his son told him he was gay. Suddenly, everything he believed just fell by the wayside and he Flipped it all over on its head, but to appeal to him from the you know from the constitutional side, from the hey freedom of religion side, from the freedom of speech side. This isn't going to overturn you know same sex marriage. This isn't going to tell your son he can't have a husband and all the other stuff. This is just a matter of protecting people's rights as per the Constitution. And he's still just nope nope he's not hearing it. He doesn't have to because he doesn't have to answer to the, have to answer to the voters ever again. So that's that's the Portman thing, and that's uh, and I'm glad you brought all that back up. But now I want to go back to the diversity hire. And by the way, I, can, I, th- I once caught a glimpse of her resume. All it said was female, check, gay, check, black, check, qualified, X, hired, check. That's the, the literal uh, resume and the hiring procedure that got Kareem Jean-Pierre this job. She's the diversity hire first, last, and always. I want you to hear this response to a question from a Reuters reporter on the Twitter factor. Peter, you brought up uh, Elon Musk, or we brought it up, and you mentioned uh, how you, so far uh, you, you like you know you like what he's doing, and he's 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 doing exactly what he said he would. Um, it is terrifying the left that Twitter has become a haven for free speech, and it terrifies them that it is growing by leaps and bounds. It is growing at a faster rate than it ever did under the leftists who ran it. And uh, the reporters want the White House to do something about that. Pete, listen. Question about Twitter. Um, you know, there's a researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? Are you concerned that Twitter is getting more and more popular and more and more users are joining? And what tools do you have at the White House to deal with that? <laughs> to deal with free speech yep. being flocked to by Americans? Here's the response. Well, look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, look, um, we, you know, we have always been very clear um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when we comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that they they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again, 
we're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring, and uh, we see you know we see it with our own eyes of, of what you all are reporting and just. For, for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. Uh, but again, social media companies have a responsibility to prevent their platforms uh, from being used by any user uh, to incite violence, especially violence uh, directed at individual communities. As we have been seeing, and the President has been very clear on calling uh, that out, he'll continue to do that, uh, and we're going to continue to monitor the situation. Go ahead. Pete, I already did 20 minutes of my own response to that, so I won't get in the way of you, other than, other than just to say that is the representative of the federal government of the United States of America, executive branch, saying that we are keeping an eye on a private company to see if it gets too popular right. and, if, uh, and if people are allowed to, to say too many free things. Go ahead. Right, and you know there's evidence, and I think uh, you may have had Jim Jordan on about this. I don't know, because I've heard, I think it was Jim Jordan, say that they're going to be holding hearings when they assume the majority, again, related to this, the collusion between, among others, the FBI and Facebook and others, which is clear First Amendment violation without any question whatsoever. But think about that reporter. This person depends for her livelihood on a vibrant protection of the First Amendment, and she's asking for censorship. She should have her press credentials revoked right there. She is unequivocally incompetent to be an unqualified to be a reporter asking for censorship. Extraordinary. That doesn't even happen in the old Soviet Union. They were, you know, at least they had a gun to their heads when they were prevented from saying certain things. Asking for censorship that didn't comport with what 95% of the mainstream media like. They, and by the way, as we all know, the mainstream media censors on their own because you don't hear a thing. Ask your friends who are not clearly on the right about what happens on the southern border, they have no clue because MSNBC, CBS, ABC, none of them cover it except when it was the Martha's Vineyard thing. But asking for that is reprehensible. Second, what is misinformation? Define that. What is disinformation? Define that. We know what the Soviets thought it was, anything that was contrary to what the regime was pushing. And that's precisely what it is here. Disinformation, they're the ones for seven years now have been propagating disinformation for more than at least five years, maintaining a Russian collusion narrative that was completely false. They awarded themselves Nobel Prizes and all kinds of other awards for propagating the greatest political scandal in American history, all of which was false. So talk about disinformation. You know, the pot calling the kettle black, this is like on steroids. So this is incredible. One of my... um, you know, um, when you talk about the First Amendment and uh, the, 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 the things that are happening with respect to Google, Apple, and the what appears to be a coordinated effort on the part of almost every major institution, which is captive to the left, to suppress and censor speech, this is you know, Vivek Ramaswamy has written about this and has done a lot of good yeoman's work at how... Uh, entrenched this ideology is throughout big media and big tech, and this is a clear and present danger. It's not a clear First Amendment violation because it's not the government, but as Vivek says, and I think he says that with some uh, some authority, when you take a look at the law on this and, you know, antitrust law, for example, and kind of the theory behind First Amendment, you know, when a institution that's private censors, that's not a clear violation of the First Amendment, because the First Amendment protects speech that is curbed by the state, by government. But when an entity either gets so large as to exercise monopoly power and or 
colludes with the government to suppress speech, which we've seen across multiple big tech platforms, then, and at that point, it's an infringement upon, upon free speech and it should be actionable. And I'm hopeful the Republicans, once they get their once they figure out <laughs> what's going on after this, this uh, Respect for Marriage Act debacle, finally figure out what's going on. I hope a Jim Jordan will have extensive hearings on this and legislate. We don't need legislation, frankly. We shouldn't have it if we had a properly educated public and a properly educated political class. But I hope he holds hearings so it's plainly apparent the dangers to the First Amendment inherent in what's going on right now with the Biden administration and with big tech other than Twitter and Elon Musk is central to much of this. They've got to do what they can to protect our rights of free speech and it's metastasized now into the private sector and that needs to be addressed. When they exercise monopoly power and suppression of speech, that is a danger as virulent as, say, the state of Ohio saying you couldn't say certain things. Peter Kirsten out uh, with us uh, once again on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, uh, terrific uh, response. Um, in the time that we have last, left, I want you to make some sense of China for everybody listening who's seeing all of these uh, Chinese military and police beating down protesters who are trying to make a statement to Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party that they will not be welded into their homes again, that they will not be uh, locked down and unable to to get out of their homes to be able to see their family members to work, etc., etc., because the oppressive, um, quote-unquote, health emergency-driven lockdowns um, are back, and they're getting worse than ever. And the the people of China finally decided enough. We're going to stand up and take a stand, and they are being quashed. I'm reminded of Tiananmen Square. A lot of people have brought that up, too. I am as well. Um, you know, they're standing up against an extraordinary force. Um, that is, that is, I mean, <clears throat> they have no interest whatsoever in human rights, as evidenced by the concentration camps, the Holocaust, if you will, against the Uyghur Muslims in China. So they have no, you know, they have no issue whatsoever, no problems with just killing those who would dare stand up against the machine. But what I want you to do, Pete, if you can, uh, is explain how that impacts us in the United States. Yeah, well, first of all, we had a press secretary, not not uh, the, the um, diversity. The diversity hire, hire, but John Kirby, instead, who knows better or should know better, say that, well, basically, you know, we respect their right to uh, peaceably assemble and engage in free speech, but didn't say anything about the substance of what they were saying. And that is, America stood aside, just as we did with the Green Revolution in Iran under Obama, just as we've had under almost every other Democratic uh, administration that seems to provide sustenance and sucker for these uh, totalitarian regimes like China and Venezuela and Cuba. That's reprehensible. By the way, kudos to the Iranian soccer team. I never thought I would say something like that for refusing. I mean, they take their lives into their hands just as these Chinese dissidents do. That reporter at the White House who said, what are you going to do about censorship? They should grab her by the scruff of her neck take her in front of those Chinese protesters and say, this is courage, this is what the First Amendment is designed to protect, and you are a disgrace to your profession. This is the kind of, we, we are at a point now, and that's why Elon Musk is so important, I hope he stays the course on this. Again, I still have trepidation about him, but right now, boy, he's a hero. We, we are under siege, frankly, the government, major institutions, the <laughs> frankly, the scions of what, what, the, the reporters themselves are asking for censorship or imposing censorship. And Elon Musk has got it right. Once we give up our free speech rights, game over, because the First Amendment and the Second 
uh, Amendment are the two primary protectors of our freedoms in this country. And to the extent that they are eroded, that means that big government or big tech, but sometimes the same, one and the same, have hegemony over us. We cannot permit that to happen. This is serious stuff. This is not merely, you know, kind of uh, the kind of clinical assessment you would get in a university uh, seminar. We're seeing this happening right now. Everybody listening to this station knows, and you and I have met with a number of your listeners, but everyone listening to the station knows that at corporations and other institutions, the right to speak out is suppressed. Now, it, that, that's, that's fine. I mean, you know, in private institutions, again, unless it's monopoly power, you know, you're supposed to do your work and keep your mouth shut, okay? But what we're seeing more and more often is the left weaponizing corporations, institutions to go after individuals who stray outside the boundaries of what they consider to be acceptable discourse. And, you know, the Respect for Marriage Act is one of those things. You know, respectful discourse now means discourse approved of by the left. And if you do that, everybody keeps their speech uh, suppressed. If they can mandate what you're allowed to say and not say, they, they then control what you think and not think, and then game over. Freedom is over. This is very important. It's not an exaggeration. We're, we're at a very critical juncture, and that, as I said before, we're at a tipping point, and that tipping point is not one that happens in two seconds or three seconds, although it could collapse that quickly. Tipping points when it comes to civilization could span decades, but we're at that point right now where we are giving up fundamental freedoms for the pursuit of what? We don't no, except that it's the control of all of our lives by the left. They want to tell us what to do, how to do it, the appropriate things to think, the appropriate things to say. And the people in China and the Iranian soccer team have pointed the way and said, no, we will not. Think of the bravery of those individuals. Just extraordinary bravery. Many of them have probably right now have disappeared. Okay, that's the fact. And yet they still stood up and said, no way. Um, and yet we've got a reporter asking for more censorship. Just despicable. Very well said, Pete. Uh, I'm reticent to follow up on that because it's soccer. Sorry. be condemned for playing soccer, but you know yeah. what? They got the right idea when they come yeah. to speech. But, but they also, they also you know, ended my interest in, 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 not that I had any, but in, in their, in their uh, outcomes when they got rid of the national colors, red, white, and blue, and replaced them on the soccer crest with the rainbow colors. Um, I know they're trying to make a point, uh, but it's that you don't do that. You don't do that. You don't change the flag. You don't change the colors, period. Uh, now, having said that, last thing for you here, Pete, do you remember 1965 Paul Harvey's infamous, not infamous, famous uh, address, uh, If I Were the Devil? Do you remember yeah, hearing? Right, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. You know, if I were the devil, uh, here's how I would set about taking over the United States. You know, I would start I'd subvert the churches first with the wisdom of a serpent. I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, "Do as you please." To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. The whole thing—it's about a three and a half minute clip yes. that is just so famous. Yeah. It was, and and I think it's very very prominent still today. So I want to ask you if if um, you know, if if you were the devil and the devil uh, was was attempting to you know kind of bring about the the chaos that that Paul Harvey once described, what weapons would he use? Tell me about the devil's weapons. <laughs> yeah, because I've written about that. But in any event, I, I, but on a less literary scale. Paul Harvey really nailed it. I remember you know you don't have to do that, Pete. I, I, it no, was no, really no. just but an I, intro I, I to, to, pro, to, pro, to promote your book. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that. But <laughs> but really getting into the substance of it, aside from my book, my book comes out uh, a week from today. It's going to be great. I'm going to do a lot of media. I'm doing a you know a FaceTime and a nationwide Zoom and all that stuff, and it's a lot of fun. And I'm going to be I'm in the course of writing the sequel to it. I'm almost uh, pretty far along in it because I write pretty fast, and it's a lot of fun. I'm not just trying to promote it. I think people will enjoy it. It's it's great escapism. It's historical realism, but it's it, it really does uh, adhere to history. I mean, I had to rewrite it several times to make sure that little things got correct uh, because it's hard to do sometimes. You've got to look at maps and time frames and how someone could plausibly do whatever. But getting back to Paul Harvey, um, every time I've heard it, and I heard it the last time, maybe it was probably less than a week ago it was played on some show. Maybe you played it. I don't know. No, I didn't. But um, it was truly prescient what he said. And usually you get this kind of stuff from these deep philosophers, the great thinkers. Not to say Paul Harvey wasn't, but he, you know, he was not known for being somebody who wrote philosophy books. He's not, you know, C.S. Lewis or someone, but it had that type of quality. And he was as I say, very prescient, because here we are, and we can see some of the consequences to this. And I think, I don't want to, again, wax religious, I'm very ill-equipped to do that, but nonetheless, if you take a look at the erosion of our major institutions, there's a, a um, it's intentional, and it is, you know, I'm not saying millions of people are, are intentionally doing this, but I'm saying those who set policy for certain institutions, mainly on the left, have a vision and had a vision, and they articulated quite forthrightly and said, here's what we're going to do. And if you take a look at, um, oh gosh, uh, uh, KGB Colonel Bezmanov, I can't remember his first name, Valerie Bezmanov, I think, he defected, you know, like, I don't know what it was, 50 years ago, and there's a YouTube video of him being interviewed where he pretty much describes what the KGB was attempting to do to the West, consistent with what Paul Harvey said, okay? He wasn't citing Paul Harvey, but the uh, parallels between what the KGB overtly was trying to do to Western institutions and what Paul Harvey said the devil would attempt to do are almost identical. It's almost chilling. And what we're seeing now, 50 years on, is they've accomplished much of their objectives. And yet we're still sitting here not realizing what's going on. And now it's gotten to the point where they don't have to do a thing. Because as Bezmanov says, when we can get our educational institutions to do this voluntarily without any kind of subversion by the KGB or others, game over. They, they will have won. And they are. They're doing it voluntarily. In fact, they're going beyond what the KGB was tra- attempting to do. Not a conspiracy theory. And by the way, that was another attempt by, by uh, the left by trying to ridicule people who say, oh, this is what uh, KGB was trying to do or something. They would ridicule you so that, you know, smart people, intelligent people, sophisticated people wouldn't even raise the issue and thereby give them a clean path to accomplishing their objective. Peter Kirsten, I'll lay it out for us. Uh, for those who didn't catch the joke or the intro there, the book that Peter's talking about, his new book is called The Devil's Weapons. Uh, it'll be out, uh, what, uh, next week, right? A week from today. A week from today. So we'll be back on, of course, a week from today, and we'll talk about it there and how people can get it. And uh, you can pre-order it now. Just go to Amazon. But it's called The Devil's Weapons. Uh, it's uh, in the W.E.B. Griffin series. Peter has taken that over, and uh, it is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal read. Peter, as always, thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bob. All right, 1056, we'll take this to the news. We're guest-free after that, so anything you want to talk about, we'll make it a free-for-all, 45 minutes or so, starting after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. My kingdom for a leader like that today. My kingdom, my country. My life for a kingdom, or excuse me, for a leader like that today. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Tuesday, 29th morning, 11th month, year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being uh, with us this morning. Uh, if you missed the interview that I just did with Carson out, first of all, the promotion of the podcast, of course, you can always catch it <clears throat> after the show on the website at uh, whkradio.com. Listen to that there. But the other reason I'm bringing it up is if I just kind of made something up off the cuff um, to promote his book. His new book is uh, The Devil's Weapons. And so I, I reminded him of the Paul Harvey thing from 1965. And um, I even read a couple of lines of it. I just looked up the text of it real quick, and I read a couple of lines. I said, you remember what he said he would do, or what, what he said the devil would do if he was trying to destroy uh, the world? And the first and most important part of that would be destroying the United States, its crown jewel. And uh, I said, what if the devil was doing that today? What weapons would he use? Uh, what are the devil's weapons? It was just a goofy way to introduce the devil's weapons, his new book. But you know what it did? It got me nostalgic, and it got me you know, in the mood. Uh, and I'm in the mood right now. I want to hear it. It's been a while. It's been a long while since I remembered hearing or since I last heard uh, Paul Harvey's 1965 If I Were the Devil monologue. It's only three uh, three minutes and 15 seconds. I think you'll enjoy every bit of it as much as I do. And by the way, then we will be in free-for-all uh, Tuesday kind of mode here for the last 45 minutes of the broadcast. Remember, we take this to 45, then we'll have uh, Bill O'Reilly take, take you to a Charlie Kirk at the top of the hour, then a Dennis Prager. So before we do free-for-all and whatever it is you want to talk about, you can dial 216-901-0945. Let's listen once again, to the great words or the brilliant words, the prescient words of the, the great Paul Harvey. And then maybe apply them today. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper. I'm going to pause this here. The um, 
audio that I'm sharing with you, it's not being distorted or muddied by us. It is just the particular audio file that I have for this. I'm going to try one more and see if it's any more clear, just so that we can really appreciate the words without the static. So my apologies for the interruption, but I want to try to make this better for us here. So let's see if we can make this any better uh, and hope we don't have the static here. We're going to give this one more. If I were the devil. It is what it is. If I were the devil. If I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The... So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, You'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. I kept waiting for the end. <clears throat> I kept waiting for him to say, Paul Harvey, good day. That is uh, that is remarkable how somebody can be that uh, prescient, that uh, in touch and in tune with the current direction back in 1965 that he knew what would be coming 
and that he knew what would be coming in 1975 and 1985 and 1995 and all the way to here we are today. Every single one. Did you hear one line or one phrase in that three-minute and 15-second speech or monologue from Paul Harvey that isn't happening today? If I were the devil, I would make this, 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 and this, and this, and this happen, and we are sitting here right now, open a newspaper. Well, maybe not a newspaper, you can't trust them, but turn on a program like this, or log on to the right websites and start reading, and you will find what? You will find this, 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 and this. All of the things that Paul Harvey said the devil would do in order to achieve the destruction of the world. The final victory, killing God's creation, God's earth, God's, God's likenesses in his image, human beings. This is how I would destroy them all if I were the devil. Every one of those lines, if I had more time and if I felt like you wanted to hear it, I would play it again and pause after each segment and point out the accuracy of where we are today in 2022. And it didn't start in 2022. As Paul Harvey noticed, back in 1965 it had started. He made it at the end. He said literally, in other words, I would just keep right on doing what he's doing now. It was that way, but now it is just, you know, it's 55 years or so worse. Further down the line. What's in the next 50 years? At this rate, on this path, if if the devil's tools and weapons, going back to my conversation with Peter, are allowed to remain in charge of our government and the globalist governments around the world that are working together to advance this agenda, what, what will, what will the, the world look like in 50 years? Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't at all. I won't be here to see it. But maybe the world won't look like anything. Because maybe the devil's goal will have been achieved. The devil's agenda will have been achieved. Destruction of God's creation. God created man. God created the earth, which he gifted to man, to, to flourish, on which to flourish. And all of it could be destroyed if we just keep following the same path that we're on right now. And those paths which are getting even worse and more dangerous by those tools and weapons of his, many of whom are in power. Like I said, at the globalist level and, yes, at some of the federal, state, and local levels here in this country right now. And at the cultural levels, too. At the television level, the movie level, the Internet, which, of course, was not something that could have been forecast, but it's, it's all the same thing. The devil is absolutely achieving his his goal. He's making great strides toward that agenda. So uh, that was off the cuff. Like I said, I just happened to mention Paul Harvey to Peter Kirstenau, but I hope you really think about that a little bit. Maybe another day this week we'll talk about it in more depth. But right now we'll go to the phones. BJ is in uh, North Olmstead. Hi, BJ. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Thank you, Bob. And if I may be so bold, since we talked about if I were the devil, I thought that was interesting. I would like to take the other line with all due respect that if I were the creator, I would awaken the women of the world in China, in the Americas, in Europe, to stop the behavior of men's behavior with wars and killings and prostitution 
and uh, sexual assault and all these different things that they're committing of every race and creed. If I were the creator, I would have the women start to arise in these countries and go against the government that's trying to hold them in bondage and in Iran where they want, want them to not cut their hair and beat them. So there's a different perspective, and I think that the women of the world are waking up. And in my belief, truly, and I've mentioned this before on your program, women are going to make the difference because obviously men are men have been beaten down to the point where they are, are too silent and not the men that they were when I was a young man. And I thank you for the time, and I hope that uh, the Creator does. You. BJ? I, I, pre- I appreciate that. Thanks very much. Um, I would disagree only with the last part. When he, when he said that women need to rise up uh, because men have become weaker than what they were, I think it is still within men to rise up as well. I would give the same advice. Uh, if I were the creator, I would have the women rise up in the way that you said, and I would tell men to go back to becoming men again, to stop allowing those who would denigrate the idea of masculinity by calling it toxic toxic, and recognize that all of the greatest things that have been ever built on this earth were built by masculine men. The West was tamed. The, the wilds were tamed by masculine men. The, the infrastructure of this great country has evolved over the course of the last 250 years because of masculine men. Masculine men are good for culture, good for the country, good for our our race, our species of people, of humanity. Masculine men need to be restored to a position of respect and not destroyed, not not denigrated, not marginalized as one of those masculine males pushing for the patriarchy. You get rid of masculine men, you get rid of patriarchal concepts, you have a failed Dead society, period. Joe is in Westlake next. Hi, Joe. Thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning. Thanks, Bob. Wow. Thank you. Incredible uh, recording earlier and uh, important points. I'm calling to mention that Elon Musk uh, going with Twitter, in my opinion, that is a government corporate uh, psychological operation meant to push the conservative movement to uh, be fooled into thinking Twitter is going to adequately support us, to take our focus off of true liberty uh, platforms such as Telegram, Getter, uh, Truth Social, and the same applies to any potential phone Elon makes. He has a long history of making money from the government we need new open source chips, new open source networks, not new phones. We already have phones with good privacy, such as Lineage OS and Graphene OS. Thank you. Okay, thank you for the call. Let me quick, quickly respond to a couple of those things. Number one, the phone thing would be a necessity if Twitter is taken off of the phones that exist now. 
The phone thing, I think, is also a necessity to stop the spying on us. You know, you talk about, and I agree with you about open source chips, and I agree with you about, you know, some of the points of the existing phones, but there is a monopoly on it by corporations that hate this country. They hate what this country stands for. Make no mistake about it. Leadership at Apple, leadership at Google, who are responsible for iPhones and Androids, hate this country. They hate freedom. If Elon Musk or anybody else can build something that rivals and takes a giant bite out of their A, then I am happy about that because maybe it will force them to actually stop some of the uh, some of the things that they're doing, including, by the way, the spying and listening to every single thing that we do. And your phone does. People need to understand that. Maybe an Elon Musk phone will do the same thing. I don't know. But but going back to the first part about what you said about about uh, uh, Elon Musk, uh, I don't think you understand, or maybe some people understand the scale and the size of Twitter, particularly now that it's growing bigger than it ever has before. It takes Telegram and Getter and, and, and Truth, Trump social, uh, Truth Social and so forth, uh, and it laps them multiple times over in terms of reach. That's why it's important to have conservative presences on Twitter. It's not so that they will, you know, run away from the other ones, as you say, or, or, or have those diminished as true conservative platforms and then, you know, get everybody on Twitter and then what? Then what? Crush, crush conservative thought again? I mean, if that ever happened again, people would just go right back to the other things. But as it stands, Twitter is so much larger than the other platforms all put together, not counting Facebook, but the getters and and such that you're talking about. So Twitter has to be a part of the equation, which is why Musk taking it over is a good thing. It is a very positive thing. And I think what he is doing so far by unbanning account after account after account, by pledging to show the books, if you will, to literally blow the whistle on Twitter itself, the way it used to be run, how it made its censorship decisions, uh, what agencies within the government they were working and colluding in order to silence conservative voices if he opens the door to all of that and puts that out on twitter my goodness i don't know what more of a show of good faith we were asking for from him that would be a massive show of good faith that he's here to do the right thing and he's here to do it for the long haul and that's what i'm going to continue to hope until i have reason have reason to believe otherwise joe great call appreciate it great uh, discussion points we'll have more of those right after this always right radio Always Right Radio on The Answer. You know, this song was not actually about doing more drugs. The song was about writing a song. I did, there's, I don't know, I just, some things I just feel like I need to say because I don't think people believe. Josh, you're a music guy, you DJ, 25 or 6 to 4 by Chicago. What do you think it means? Close, close, close. So many people, when this song came out, and I've read about it, I don't know why, goofy stuff, sometimes you just become interested in, people thought it was about doing drugs. When he says 25 or 6 to 4, should I do some more? Should I do some more drugs? Um, It's not about doing more drugs. The lyrics are hilarious. I mean, I get it why people think that, too. Um, No, 
It's it, it means 25 or 26 minutes till 4 o'clock in the morning as I sit here trying to think of something to say, writing a song. He can't think of anything else to write. Should I go to sleep, wanting to splash my face, uh, to stay awake, to continue to write and, and, and come up with a song? And he couldn't come up with a song, so we wrote a song about trying to come up with a song at nearly 4 o'clock in the morning. So to say no, now you know. If you ever hear 25 or 6 to 4, now you know what he was writing about. Now you know what he's singing about. Now you know what the lyrics mean. How about that? I find that fascinating. I'm not a musician by any stretch. I couldn't carry a tune in a in a crate or in a dumpster. But I love songwriting. I love lyrics. I love meanings. I love uh, symbolism. I love the stories behind it. I guess it's the, the English teacher in me. Same thing I find in poetry. Same thing I find in certain literature. There's something fascinating about it. But anyway, I digress. Far too away from the topic at hand, which is whatever your topic is, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten for the next ten minutes. We'll take more of your phone calls. We'll go to uh, West Park, Jim. It's been a little bit, Jim. Welcome back to the program. Yes. Go ahead, sir. Yes, Bob. Driving up from Scrub Country yesterday, I started picking up your single signal south of Dover, New Philly. Just so That's you cool. might want to know that. I like it. Yeah. And when I go out west. Uh, I, I can pick it up way past Wellington and out that way. I used to be able to lose it. But anyways, the reason for my call... Yes, sir. I did catch uh, TJ's and Tanya's call yesterday, and I wanted to comment on that. I was digging up some quotes. Now, this one is for Donald Trump. It's like a burr under the saddle kind of thing. This one is for Tanya. If we can't handle learning about the darkest places in the world, they will turn into the darkest places in ourselves. And this one is for our woke defense secretary. Uh, I heard this. They call the Pentagon the five-sided puzzle palace. (laughs) (laughs) Every time you mention Rob Portman, you got to include that he was the president of the Global Bilderberg Group for five years. And every time you mention Hunter and Joe Biden, don't forget John Kerry. And thank you for taking my call, Bob. All right. Thank you for, the, for making the phone call. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, Rob Portman has not been my favorite senator for a very, very, very long time for a variety of reasons. I was very excited. And I don't mean to be, you know, because I, I give him credit when credit is due. He was a big part of the uh, addition. You know, he he sponsored on the Senate side that which Bill Johnson sponsored on the House side uh, to get legislation passed to allow the addition of the D-Day prayer to the World War II memorial that we just celebrated a couple of weeks ago in D.C. And uh, Rob, Rob Portman was there for that and uh, and backed the Ohio Christian Alliance and, uh, and you know, the, the entire team on the Senate side to get that done. So don't get me wrong. It's not like he's never done anything good. But I'm very, very glad to see Rob Portman on his way out, and I expect much better. I really do, from J.D. Vance. And J.D. Vance wasn't my first choice in that primary field. But the more I got to know him and the more I got to listen to him, I really think I detect some very sincere conservatism in him. The sincerity is obvious, and I think he's going to do a very good job. I think he will be a step up on that scale uh, from Rob Portman. So um, I'm not glad to see him go, or excuse me, I'm not sorry to see him go at all. Um, Yanina in University Heights on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Yes, good morning. 
Well, I'm thinking about, we probably have to investigate. Well, as a Satan, I would consider, I came from social country. As a Satan, I consider the work that Obama is doing, divide and conquer. He is putting all the people who are pro-socialism. We never had so many transvesta LGBT before he came. And, you know, putting Patterson, Patterson in uh, Pennsylvania, it's, it's incredible. It's a crime. He wants to have people, criminal people, working on the street, letting them from the prison. We probably have to make sure who are the judges that George Soros put on, in our country. And what about Klaus Schwab? What about Mark Elias? And those people destroying everything that we stand for, right? Well, many of them, yes. You're, you're, you're invoking the names of some of the world's most dangerous globalists who have an agenda that is indeed to take away the sovereignty uh, and the and the you know uh, the entirety of the United States of America. You know, they're they're literally their goal is to have world domination, one world government, and that means the United States has to go along or be destroyed. Um, I would say this, and thank you for the call, Yanina. Uh, I would say this in response, however. <clears throat> Um, with respect to um, uh, with respect to um, I apologize because you talked about several different things there now I forgot what I wanted to respond to I hate when that happens but that's ADHD for you it just sometimes comes at the worst times what did he sp- what did she speak of uh, at the very beginning oh she mentioned transsexualism and she said that this kind of really started uh, when Biden took office that part is not true this has been a movement that has been c- coming for a very very long time. The LGBTQ movement was born a long time ago. The trans movement was as well, and they have been trying to inch their way forward with an agenda that they were able to take massive, massive leaps forward upon um, when uh, uh, when uh, George Soros, or excuse me, George uh, Floyd happened. I've talked about this in speeches, too. This, this, this trans agenda, this LGBTQ massive lurch forward came... Uh, and saw what happened in 2020, the summer of 2020, the summer of rage because George Floyd died. They used George Floyd as a representation of, you know, race, a victim of racism. He's a marginalized community member. He's BIPOC. He's a person of color. And they took that to, to, and, and so many other organizations did too. That's when statues started to fall and all kinds. Anybody who has ever been oppressed found their voice in the summer of 2020. And the, so what they do is they play the victim card, the, those in the LGBTQ community, and especially the trans agenda, which is very, very rooted in pedophilia. And people need to know that, too. Know who Dr. Money is uh, when you study and you talk about these kinds of things. But I think that really started, in, you know, it started a long time ago, but it took a massive jump forward in the summer of 2020 when marginalized communities got the spotlight because George Floyd died. And when George Floyd died, everybody took full advantage of uh, trying to say, we're oppressed, we're marginalized, we are owed, and we must come forward. And that's where, that's where I think uh, we stand right now. Uh, Phil is also in University Heights on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Phil. Uh, this is kind of a big topic, so I'll just try to start it off. After listening to all of the analyses of why the Republicans did not do well in this election when they should have, because of all these things normally stacked up would indicate a huge win, they, they, they neglected to understand or, or we didn't comprehend that the real problem here is, as um, came out in your uh, talk before with, um, I forgot his name, the commentator, uh, 
Peter Cursinell? Um, my, Peter Cursinell, my guest, you mean? No, no. The um, uh, the, the radio. Uh, oh, Paul Harvey. Play, playing Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. The Paul yeah, Harvey tape. The culture war in this country has has exploded. The reason they, when they, they evaluated who voted for who, they found out that 60 some odd, two thirds of the single women in America voted against the Republicans. Why did they vote that way? Because they didn't care about these issues. Inflation, children, um, schools, not important. They were interested in one thing and another thing that we didn't, uh, a thing that we didn't pay close attention to the marketing, and that is pro-choice. What is pro-choice? It's not about abortion. It has nothing to do with abortion. In their eyes, it's about being able to choose what they do whenever they want to do it. And it's, it's become the mantra of that generation. They don't want to have children. They want to, don't want to get married. Uh, they don't want to take responsibility. They want to have, um, you know, in the, in the colleges, it's 75% women now. Men don't like to go to college because it's a girl's place. And everything is becoming um, um, confused. Um, why would you marry a man when you can just be independent? We don't need men. We don't need men to be I've got, I've, got to, I've got to jump in here, yeah. Phil, because I'm coming up in the music's playing. Thank you for the phone call. I've never heard anybody point that out, and I like it. Pro-choice isn't just about choice of whether I have my baby or not. People who are pro-choice, particularly women who say, my body, my choice, pro-choice means I choose to live independently and I don't want to be dragged down by a baby. I don't want to be dragged down into responsibility by having to raise a kid. It's pro-choice of I will get to choose whatever I do when I want to do it, and nobody can tell me otherwise. Very, very well said. We'll pick up on that, I'm sure, on tomorrow's show. That's all we've got for today, though. Thanks to you. Thanks to the crew. We'll see you tomorrow. Be well, be safe, stay free. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.